some people say they wish they could live in a book. Now I get it, but me personally, there is nothing like film and TV. New worlds, galaxies, unspoken laws and universes to explore. And I love these worlds. I want to go for a walk through Mordor with Frodo. I want to see time and space with Spock. I want to drive a car into a battlefield with Optimus Prime. I am obsessed. I rewatch and track the hidden messages, Easter eggs, and theories that come from these amazing franchises. So sit back, grab your popcorn, and let me take you through the finer details of these incredible stories. I'm T, and welcome to Theories by T. Legend tells of a legendary movie whose kung fu fight scenes were the stuff of legend. They traveled the world, capturing the hearts of millions. Some doubted its potential, but the film simply dropped, people watched it, and made a whole lot of money. Shabamui! It was so incredible, in fact, that those who watched the movies would go blind from exposure to pure awesomeness. My eyes! It's too awesome! It mattered not how many other animated films came its way, they were no match for its bodacity. Never before had a movie about a panda been so successful and so loved. The greatest actors of all time even joined in respect of its awesomeness. We should hang out. Agreed. But hanging out would have to wait, because when you're a movie as iconic as this, there's only one thing that matters, and that's Terrell. We need to start the podcast. Oh, right, sorry. On with the show. Hello and welcome back to Theories by T, the podcast. I'm your host, Terrell. And today in partnership with Sky Cinema, we're looking at DreamWorks' incredible, magnificent, hilarious Kung Fu Panda movies. I'm going to break down the best moments, the fun facts you didn't know about the film, and its cultural impact to work out what makes this trilogy so iconic. Let's not waste any time and get into the first film, the OG Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda follows a noodle shop worker called Poe the Panda, prophesied to be the legendary dragon warrior, but he's far from any kind of warrior. Training under the wise master Shifu and alongside the Furious Five, Poe was prepared to fight the evil Tai Lung and become the hero he was destined to be. I'm going to say this right off the bat, I love this movie. I love everything about it. The comedy is top tier, the voice cast is perfect. Like we're talking Jack Black, Jackie Chan, Dustin Hoffman, Seth Rogen, James Hong, and the list goes on and on and on. And of course, you can't forget about the impeccable action throughout, the gorgeous music by Hans Zimmer, the breathtaking visuals that for 2008 is really, really beyond impressive. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is one of DreamWorks' best projects. The idea for Kung Fu Panda came up in a bit of an unorthodox way. DreamWorks Animation had previously produced the PlayStation game Taifu Wrath of the Tiger, about a tiger that knows martial arts, which was intended to be the inspiration for their new movie. The idea shifted when later the poem called The White Seal by Rudyard Kipling was going to be adapted into an animated feature, but then that was scrapped. But the concept of creating an animal-themed project stuck around at DreamWorks, which would eventually become the groundworks for Kung Fu Panda. The creators of Kung Fu Panda originally wanted it to be a spoof movie, the same way Shrek parodied Disney films, this was going to be a sillier parody of Kung Fu movies. However, one of the directors, John Stevenson, insisted on having the film be a blend of action and comedy. He said he had major respects for martial arts films and he wanted the film to be more homage than parody. Honestly, I think that was a great choice. 
Wasting no time at all, let's jump straight into the best scenes of the film. Now, I've actually got five scenes that I want to go into, all amazing, all for various reasons, be that for visual or thematic reasons. But anyway, let's dive right in. Poe versus Shifu, the dumpling duel. Poe and Shifu's relationship in this film is really interesting and a beautiful arc. Shifu initially is reluctant to train Poe, not only believing that he's not the dragon warrior, but as we later learn, he's hesitant to train anybody the same way he trains Hai Lung. But after learning the lesson from Ugwe that he can't plant a seed and control how it grows, he sees that the best way for Poe to achieve his potential is for him to just be himself. The Dumpling Duel was so clever and unique. Instead of a traditional battle of physical might, the duel plays out almost like a chess match. The whole thing inspired by the 1979 kung fu film Fearless Hyena, starring Jackie Chan, who also voices a monkey in this. Similarly, about a young man trained by his wise old grandfather, forced to take on his mentor's mortal enemy. Poe, now noticing that Shifu respects him enough to train him properly, takes the match seriously. Instead of scrambling for the dumpling, he uses the chopsticks, carefully playing along. The pair clearly are having fun with it, the scene is so dynamic, fluid, and a beautiful bonding moment between the two. Poe winning the duel, ultimately revealing that he wasn't even hungry, was a great signifier that he wasn't playing for his own self-interest. He saw Shifu's respect, and that feeling was mutual. Tai Lung's Prison Break Tai Lung's Prison Break was all kinds of badass, and honestly, he's one of the most fearsome animated movie villains of all time. Every element of this scene was nuts, so let me break it down, starting with the scene just before when Ugwe prophesies to Shifu that Tai Lung would escape. Now this strikes fear into Shifu, worrying that his past mistake was going to come back to haunt him. So he sends his bird messenger to warn the prison and dial up security. Ugwe vaguely warns Shifu that one often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. Now keep this message in mind because it's key to Tai Lung's escape. The prophecy comes to pass as the feather of the bird is all that Tai Lung needed to jimmy the lock and break free. Then things go into chaos from there. The guards shoot giant crossbows at him which he seamlessly dodges and uses to break his chains. He then sends those same arrows into the wall and uses them as steps to climb up. The elevator that they called up, he uses as a shield against the rain of arrows, which again was a beautiful shot, like get me that as a poster. Then he uses the elevator to launch up and batter every guard with their own weapons. And then he uses the falling debris of rocks as stepping stones to bounce up to the top and uses the guards dynamite as a means of blowing the doors open. Much like Uwe prophesied, every step taken to prevent his escape was used to ensure it. Also, bonus, the way his giant shadow ends, like encapsulating the country in that transition. Ah, this scene was just so fire. The Furious Five versus Tai Lung. The Furious Five sadly don't get much throughout the franchise in terms of character arcs and growth, aside from maybe Tigress. Clearly viewed as the leader of the team and most skilled, she takes it upon herself to take on Tai Lung alone. But in a show of loyalty, the rest of the five join her, never leaving a man behind. They confront Tai Lung on the giant bridge, a great visual of above the clouds and an awesome stage for the fight. Additionally, I love how strategic this fight is, like watch the play-by-play. -play. They begin by cutting the rope of the bridge to slow him down. Tigris, as the team's rival feline, takes charge first, going blow for blow, but is overpowered by Tai Lung, brutally choking her with the ropes. Whoa, 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 was this still a kid's movie? Damn. Viper then jumps in as backup, using her evasiveness to annoy him and hold him back, while Crane rescues Tigris. 
And the movie doesn't take too long to remind you that it's still a comedy by leaving little Mantis as the only one holding up the giant ropes while Monkey launches in. And as expected from any Jackie Chan character, this really helps turn the tide of the fight. The four all then team up, landing powerful blows on Tai Lung, wrapping him in the rope, with Mantis pulling the team to safety. All the while, Hans Zimmer's heroic score really making you think that this did the trick. But it was a feint, as once again, Tai Lung brilliantly uses elements used to stop him as a tool to win, using the rope to swing over the heroes and one by one shutting down their nerves. Tai Lung is such a unit. Shifu vs Tai Lung This is a real emotional sticking point in the film. We learn throughout the film that Tai Lung was Shifu's former apprentice, raised like a son, not unlike Po and his noodle-loving father. But Tai Lung resents Shifu for turning his back on him when he didn't live up to the prophecy of the Dragon Warrior. Truly, this was a battle between father and son. The darkness of the scene really sets the mood. There's a bleak tone that makes you feel like despite Shifu's best efforts here, he was gonna lose. Great action in the combat here, yes, lots of really nice slow motion elements in the attacks. I also really love the way that they display Tai Lung's physical might by literally punching stone pillars and shaking the screen with every hit. There's also the moment that they blast through the roof of the building, fighting amongst the thunderous clouds. But really, it's the thematic importance of this scene that I truly love. Throughout the fight, Tai Lung is always on the offensive, clearly enraged, saying things like everything he did was to make Shifu proud. But notice that Shifu mostly evades and blocks. He can't bring himself to truly attack his son. In fact, briefly disarming him by acknowledging his failure to Tai Lung, telling him that he's proud and apologizing. A parent apologizing for the mistakes influenced onto the kid is deep. And for a moment, the animators let us see Tai Lung well up before changing his mind and attacking anyway. Because for him, he's gone too far. Just a gut-wrenching contrast of emotions. They really make you empathize with both characters here. A fantastic scene. The final scene I want to break down is Poe versus Tai Lung. This fight takes place right after Tai Lung has defeated Shifu. I love the contrast of the sun rising right when Poe arrives, symbolizing hope for the fight. I truly adore the way Poe approaches this fight, now with the wisdom of both his father and father figure. He now knows the secret to the Dragon Scroll being empty is that there is no secret ingredient. Poe can be the mighty warrior if he believes in just being himself. Tai Lung of course goes on full attack mode, but Poe uses his natural size and fighting style and lessons learned throughout the film to take the win. He uses his belly to bounce around and soften the blow of the punches. The tumble down the hill using his bounciness was picked up from the dumpling duel, as was the bamboo sticks shuffling the scroll under the pans just like how Shifu did with the bowls. He uses the tree as a spring weapon learned from when it whacked him at the start of the film. The fireworks used to get into the arena used now as an attack. He imagines the scroll as food to inspire him to seamlessly climb, just like Shifu saw him do in the temple. And of course, the Wuxi finger hold learned from Shifu, which he masters just because Poe figured it out. Finally, Poe overcomes his imposter syndrome by realizing that the only thing he needed to make him special was being himself with a little extra self-belief. I know that was a lot, but I just love this film, sue me. Don't worry, the following films won't have nearly as many scenes discussed in them. Not because they weren't as iconic, they're just less of my favorites. For now though, let's look into things you didn't know about Kung Fu Panda. The opening of Kung Fu Panda was based on the opening of the cartoon Samurai Jack. It borrows from that iconic cartoon's art style, the red and black color palette, and Poe wearing Jack's signature straw hat. 
He also narrates the story of the lone warrior hero saving the land from great evil, just like with Jack. The directors were also big anime fans, so that also informed that art style. The film had several inspirations, including Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, House of Flying Daggers, and probably most influentially, Stephen Chow's Kung Fu Hustle, due to its action comedy genre. To get the ambience of the movie, production designer Raven Zibak and art director Heng Tang researched Chinese art and Kung Fu movies, which was done to such great effects that there were actual meetings by official government bodies in China to discuss why their own country hadn't produced more animated movies to that quality themselves. The Furious Five all fight in real-world kung fu styles of their animals. Tigress is tiger style, Mantis does praying mantis, Crane is white crane style, Monkey uses monkey fist, and Viper is snake style, whilst Poe, every once in a while, uses bear style for his heavy attacks. Storyboard artist Rodolf Guenadon choreographed the fight scenes and used his real-world experience of years of martial arts training himself to inform it. Master Ugwe's Chinese name, as seen in the credits, is Wu Gui, translating to tortoise, whilst Shifu's name can mean master or teacher. The scene where Poe fanboys in the Jade Palace and gets all hyped up at the artifacts was inspired by one of the director's first experience entering the Skywalker Ranch of George Lucas, where all the props from the Star Wars movies can be found. Tai Lung was originally much more of a sympathetic character. He was going to just be disillusioned and betrayed by his father, which made him be the villain, but to justify him being viewed as the actual bad guy, they had to go back and include the scene when Tigris explains his backstory and show how he went on a full villainous rampage after feeling betrayed by Shifu, hence his imprisonment. I mean, good, otherwise he'd be added to the long list of the villain was actually right all along videos on YouTube. God, those Thanos was right lovers annoy the hell out of me. He committed genocide, people. Tai Lung's knowledge of pressure points is actually hinted at way earlier in the film. When he's in prison, we see he wears a turtle shell with several darts pierced into his back. These all happen to be pressure points on his body that restrict the use of physical strength and power. He certainly had the physical strength to hold the chains up, but he made sure to remove the darts first before anything. They don't mention it was a pressure point hold in the film, however in the sequel, Poe goes on to acknowledge it. There is a post credit scene in the film that has a cute callback to an earlier scene. Back when Ugwe told Shifu that he can't control a person any more than he can control when a peach tree grows and that it will always be a peach, he plants it into the ground. And in this post credit scene where we see Poe and Shifu, we see that the peach tree has actually grown, symbolic of Poe's journey. Shifu has now let go of the idea of controlling Poe and his destiny and instead nurtured him like a plant and let him grow as himself. When the story was handed over to the VFX team, they couldn't imagine how they'd possibly make the film, just due to the complexity of the animation. To better understand the Kung Fu, the animators took a six hour Kung Fu class, which for sure translated into the fights that we see in the movie. Now, my overall thoughts on Kung Fu Panda. Well, like I said before, I love this film. It's a beautiful story of an underdog with imposter syndrome not feeling good enough to live up to the title thrust upon him, but learning that to grow into who he was meant to become, he just needed to be himself. I loved the character arc of Shifu in this too, who had just as profound a journey. He once believed that he must train and control destiny, deciding who would become the dragon warrior, but learned that when he resigned to allow his students to grow in his own way, he was able to achieve a new understanding as a teacher. It also had gorgeous martial arts that rivaled the best kung fu movies in history, with a stellar voice cast, beautiful visuals, excellent music, and an impeccably heartfelt story. What can I say? The OG Kung Fu Panda is just iconic.
Now onto Kung Fu Panda 2. Set some time after the first film, Poe and the Furious Five protect the Valley of Peace as Kung Fu masters. But when new villain Shen with ties to Poe's tragic past arrives, Poe must learn about his origin and overcome his traumas to stop Shen before he is able to end the era of Kung Fu and conquer China. The film adds even more superstars to the cast, including Jean-Claude Van Damme as Croc, Dennis Haber as Ox, Michelle Yeoh as Soothsayer, and of course, Gary Oldman kills it as Shen. I'm not wasting any time here, let's crack into the top scenes of the film. Starting with Poe and the Furious Five versus the Wolf Bandits. General Shen's wolf bandits steal metal from a small village and the team are here to save the day. I love how this film immediately picks up the tone of the first film, being silly and fun whilst balancing really awesome and fluid action. Poe still fights in a silly and slightly clumsy way, but it's seamless. It reminds me a lot of Jackie Chan films where his character is always bumbling and evading, but mixed in with his expert physicality. All of the five show their fight styles wonderfully, even combining their attacks seamlessly. Poe using the banjos as weapons too, it all just feels like such a fun Eastern Kung Fu style film. And I love it, everything is creative and fun. But it all ends with Poe freezing up with flashbacks of his past, before being knocked out. The first of many times the film addresses the idea of being paralysed by past traumas, even forgotten ones. Poe's Origin after a humbling defeat by Shen, Poe is saved by the Soothsayer. She tells him that he needs to look deep into his memories and stop fighting the trauma of his past and just let it all flow. So, in a great callback to Shifu earlier in the film, Poe takes a raindrop and performs slow hand motions, letting it flow around his body, which Shifu explains he was able to do when he achieved inner peace. Poe, knowing he needed to achieve the same, lets it all go and sees his horrific past. I love how it's initially shown, 2D with sharp highlighted reds, almost like the horror and torment of that night was so scary for young him that he had to disassociate it from reality. But once he finally lets go, we see it all again in the film's natural 3D. Here, Poe learns that his parents didn't abandon him, but sent him away for his own protection. Now, finding out a villain may have killed your entire family would be sure to send anyone on a path of revenge, but it's Soothsayer's next line that really turns Poe's arc around. She says, Your story may not have had such a happy beginning, but that doesn't make you who you are. It's the rest of your story, who you choose to be. Followed by a flashback sequence of Poe's childhood, training in the first film, becoming a hero, bonding with his master, his father and his friends, all scored with a triumphant melody by Hans Zimmer. And lit with this subtle yellowish saturation, symbolising hope, kind of like a sunrise. It beautifully encapsulates what this second film was all about, letting go of your past no matter what it was, and making choices today to decide who you are, allowing room for a more fruitful future. That is how you achieve inner peace. And the final scene of Kung Fu Panda 2 that I want to talk about, the final battle. Poe returns, not with revenge in his heart, but with the newly invigorated heart of a hero. Again, this scene still manages to keep the comedy element with Poe giving his speech to Shen but being too far to be heard. Then his hilarious evasion of the canon just made funny with Jack Black's little ad-lib like Ooh, ah, yeah, ooh, you can't touch this, ooh. We then get another great battle moment with Poe freeing the five and just like the beginning, they unveil some great combo moves. 
But the real badass moment of this was Croc and Ox coming to lend a hand alongside Shifu. Shelved for most of the movie, but back because he couldn't leave his kids to take on this new threat alone. I've said it before, but one of my favorite tropes in a film is when a hero that is absent for a chunk of the film comes in clutch in the third act. Then we got the hilarious slow motion hero jump and pose, I love you guys. It was so sweet. Following this, Shen shows his real villainy by taking out his right hand man and taking a cannon shot on his own people to blast Po away. Thankfully though, our boy's got that inner peace on his side and would of course use the raindrop technique to deflect the cannons back at the boats. You know, now that I think about it, that whole move was a bit of a deuce ex machina, like who taught him how to do that? Yeah, whatever, it was still cool. And of course, the satisfying conclusion of Poe telling Shen that scars heal. Well, and then Shen tells him that scars don't heal, but then he says they may not heal, but they do fade eventually, and that he needs to let go of the past. Shen still goes for broke though and tries to kill Poe, but ultimately allows his own ship to fall on him, leading to his downfall, fulfilling the prophecy of being defeated by a warrior of black and white, but not Poe himself. Now what's the things that you didn't know about Kung Fu Panda 2. Shen was originally created as a devious mayor character for the original film, but got written out before production, leading to the idea being revised for the sequel. Following the idea of animals fighting in the style relative to them, you know, like tigers fighting in tiger style, Shen doesn't fight in a peacock style, but rather the peacock feathers resemble fans, and he fights using Kai Li Fo, the martial art of using a metal fan as self-defense or distraction. Apparently, Shen was super hard to animate because his design was so complex. So much so that according to director Jennifer Yu Nelson, it was like animating six characters at once. When Master Croc arrives to help in the final sequence, he lands in a wide split position, a move often performed by his voice actor, Jean-Claude Van Damme. The 2D images of Poe's backstory and parents were based on the concept art designs of Poe himself. The film used over 99 terabytes of data and took more than 55 million render hours to make. Kung Fu Panda 2 almost had a couple different names, including the Kaboom of Doom, of course referencing the canon in the film, and Pandemonium. Okay, Pandemonium is a pretty funny title, I would have been okay with this. And the final fun fact, Jack Black was shocked to learn that upon his visit to the Atlanta Zoo, the most recent panda born into captivity at the time was named Poe. Apparently DreamWorks funded the zoo to aid in their panda reservation efforts. Okay, my overall thoughts on Kung Fu Panda 2 is that I really liked it. It's a really profound exploration into letting go of past traumas to be able to find peace in the present and how clinging onto the past can lead to one's downfall. I've heard some say that it's superior to the original, but I just can't get behind that. It certainly packs an emotional punch towards the end when Poe learns of his history and manages to find inner peace, but the rest of the story and lead up to that kind of felt a little stale by comparison to the original. The action sequences were nowhere near as memorable or creative as the first, and outside of Poe, most characters in this felt like they were just there to be there, with very little focus. I'd still rank the OG as better, but I think this is a perfectly enjoyable movie, and even on the higher end of DreamWorks' outings. Kung Fu Panda 2, not the greatest of sequels, but it does the job. And rounding out this podcast series is Kung Fu Panda 3. It's wild to think that the most recent of these films came out seven years ago. Poe has now elevated his mastery to become a teacher of Kung Fu, but soon is reunited with his birth father and a village of chi-wielding panda. 
But when an evil master of chi returns to life and threatens to destroy Kung Fu, Po must train the panda in martial arts to prepare for his oncoming foe. So there's only two scenes I want to talk about in this film, but they are two really great moments and just standouts overall. The first being Kai, Crane and Mantis versus Shifu, Monkey, Viper and Tigress. Unlike the second film, this one had much more creative action as seen in the fight at the Jade Palace. Kai has control over Crane and Mantis and he goes after the masters. Turning two of the five against the others is a nice way of keeping the fight feeling fresh and unique as opposed to disposable grunts. I love the beginning of initially Monkey, Tigress and Viper going straight for Kai with Tigress showing her skill by giving Kai a bit of trouble. But then the tables turn when their allies attack. The best thing about the Furious Five is how differently they will fight. So seeing how their varying skills fare against one another is super interesting. The dynamic of the fight starts quite fun. Like I love the part where Monkey says, Mantis, it's me, your bestie, before getting beaten around. Again, the choice of Jackie Chan as Monkey was genius because he acts just like Jackie would in his movies, apologizing during the fight and just being silly and bumbly. And then the fight ending with Tigress's escape and Shifu having to watch the statue of his master used as a weapon to destroy his home. So sad, what a spectacle. The next scene I'm a big fan of is the training montage. Poe is feeling down and out about the upcoming duel with Kai, but fulfilling his role from the start of the movie, he realizes he needs to stop trying to be a student and start becoming a master. I love the resolve of him teaching the pandas to fight in a way that's natural to their ways of life. Twirling the ribbon as nunchuck practice, rolling around like balls, even giving the big bear hug. To me, this felt like it was all a callback to the original lesson in Kung Fu Panda 1, that Poe needed to learn to fight in ways that were natural to him. Not only was the animation of the scene awesome, it also had really nice music and Poe just telling each of the pandas again whenever they did a move was hilarious. Now, you're probably wondering why I didn't include scenes like Poe versus Kai and honestly, because I didn't like that scene quite as much. In my opinion, the scene was far less exciting as battles with Tai Lung or Shen, which had much more martial arts. Here, the really cool action moment was traded out for a giant spirit kaiju fight that, if you were paying attention, was kind of hinted at several times earlier in the film, with all the pandas collectively using their chi to help Uguay beat Kai. I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't predict a literal giant dragon, but Poe losing and then getting a last minute chi power up was pretty obvious and quite frankly for me, a bit lackluster. Cool moment though, I guess. Now finally, here's some things you didn't know about Kung Fu Panda 3. The design of Kai resembles the villain from the original film's opening dream sequence, and he was originally going to have those same four arms and be named the four-armed yak demon god on fire. There is a Shrek easter egg in Kung Fu Panda 3. On their journey, Poe and Lee pass a giant stone mountain, the same one that we see in Shrek when he and Donkey go to Fiona's castle. Angelina Jolie voices Tigress and her kids, Nox, Zahara and Shiloh Jolie Pitt all make cameos as the baby pandas. To get a better feel for how pandas live, the filmmakers went directly to China's panda reserve in Chengdu and noticed that pandas often roll around, which inspired their rolling scene when Poe first visits. Originally, Kai's jade zombies, or zombies as they're called in the film, were all going to be scarabs that had flame designs and would have fought with ribbons like Chinese dancers. Master Porcupine's design was pulled from concept art from the first film, a character that used his quills for acupuncture that was ultimately scrapped. Kai having green eyes was pulled from the Chinese legend of green eyes being signs of evil. 
and Kai's name was originally going to be Tian Sha, which means ferocious spirit from heaven. And the final fun fact of the film, Rebel Wilson was initially going to be the voice of Mei Mei, but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts and replaced by Kate Hudson. Honestly, I think Kate did a better job. I can't see Rebel in this role. Okay, now for my overall thoughts on Kung Fu Panda 3. Again, it's hard to be overly critical on any of the Kung Fu Panda movies. They all have likeable characters, pack heartfelt messages, and have great action. Still, it's hard to not compare this film to the original. The bar for great action set pieces were raised so high and neither sequel managed to meet it. This one especially really pulls back any fun action for quieter and more wholesome moments. And sure, that's not always a bad thing, I mean, fights aren't everything, but the original film told the story through the action in a way that the others just don't, or at least not as well. Still, I do credit Kung Fu Panda 3 for expanding the lore with more focus on Chi, as well as evolving Poe as a character even more with him reconciling with his family past and growing from a student to a true master. Again, a fine installment and by no means a bad movie, it's just a shame that, in my opinion, neither can quite meet the magic of the original. Now let's talk all about that money. Kung Fu Panda is a very profitable franchise, with the first two earning over 600 million worldwide and the third hitting just over 500 million, coming in at 1.8 billion in total. Not including extra profit made in DVD and Blu-ray sales, video games, tie-in shows and TV specials, and of course a bunch of merchandise in the form of clothes, action figures and so much more. Critically, they all land in the 80s on Rotten Tomatoes, with most agreeing that it's a unique story with a wonderful cast and memorable action throughout. All three films did pretty good for awards too, with the first two earning Oscar noms and all three pulling in several wins at the annual awards for their character animations, designs, music, directing and a whole lot more. Honestly, I'm surprised it didn't win an Oscar, but I guess it did have really stiff competition with Wally. I mean, I love Wally, but that's a snub. Now, believe it or not, we're not too far from a Kung Fu Panda 4 set to drop in March of 2024. The OG cast are all returning, and joining the lineup is Aquafina, who's been doing the rounds as a voice actor in recent years with Little Mermaid and Raya and the Last Dragon. New characters that are popping up include a small fox called Zen and an evil chameleon that would have the ability to shapeshift into Poe's past foes. The plot is that Poe, now a teacher, is trying to find the new dragon warrior whilst the chameleon wants to defeat Poe and become the new dragon warrior themselves. This will now be the fourth in a planned total of six movies for the franchise. They've all been pretty fairly spaced out, I mean 3 did come out a whole 5 years after 2, and this one upped that gap to 7 years. I'm personally down for way more in this universe. I don't know that I want too many more sequels, but spin-offs following Tigress will be cool, maybe a story of Shifu in his younger years alongside other vets like Croc and Ox, maybe even a prequel on Master Ugwe when he was just a young little ninja turtle, that'll be sick. I think they've built a fun universe that they can have a lot of fun in and I can't wait to see more. Okay, you've stuck with me this long so far, so now it's time for my closing thoughts. The Kung Fu Panda franchise is easily one of the most popular in DreamWorks' catalogue. They stand as excellent Kung Fu movies in their own right, all the while paying homage and honouring the live-action ones that inspired it. According to my research, most seem to love all three films the same, with many saying the second two could arguably surpass the original in quality, but not for me. I personally saw a slight drop-off in quality when re-watching all three. I just feel like the jokes don't land as well, and the action is simply not as creative or memorable. That being said, what I do love about all three films is the powerful themes throughout. Themes of self-belief and being who you are, letting go of the past and deciding who you want to be in the present, 
and accepting and realizing your own growth, imparting wisdom and embracing just how far you've come. And that's what makes Kung Fu Panda so iconic. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. <laughs> Thanks guys for listening all the way through. I've been T and if you want to watch any of your favorite movies, including say Kung Fu Panda 2, then go check out Sky Cinema. It is the place to go. That is Sky Cinema. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. And to those that haven't already, please leave a review. It truly helps me out a lot and share this podcast with your friends. I'm really hoping I can do more of this show and your support means the world. You can follow me on all my socials at Theories by T. I've been T, and that's the T. Have I said T enough times yet? Yeah.